Well, since it's Halloween, we're going to talk about people rising from the dead. Now, that's kind of one of like the most common themes in every good monster movie, especially if they're sequels, is that the, the monster is either really hard to kill or at least they come back to life over and over and over again until the studio decides to stop cranking out those sequels, right? Um, one of my favorite, in fact, it might be one of the most perfect Halloween movies, in my opinion, is uh, Hocus Pocus. I don't know if you've seen Hocus Pocus. It's about the, these three witches from the Salem witch trial era who come back to life and try to uh, eat children's souls so that they can live forever. And, and at the end of the movie, they die. Or so we thought. Because after 20 years, Disney decided to make a sequel. So now, I mean, they looked really dead the last time that that movie ended. So I'm not sure what they're going to do. But, um, they, uh, you know, but that's kind of the thing, right, with stuff of the, with monsters and whatnot. They, they, they tend to be kind of hard to, to vanquish and get rid of. Um, if you're watching online, what's your favorite scary movie or Halloween movie? Let us know in the comments. Okay, for those of you that are here, what's your favorite Halloween movie? Nightmare Before Christmas. He's loved it. It is, what'd you say? It's a Halloween Christmas hybrid, right? Right? I don't know. What? Pocus Pocus? You like that one? You like that one too? What's your favorite one? You haven't even watched it all the way. What? What's your. Oh, yeah, Hocus, see, there's, Adolf, what do you got? Okay, see, I was right. Hocus Pocus, what? A little boy that can see ghosts? So not the sixth sense, okay, just making sure. Uh, that's, um, anybody, anybody watch the, uh, it's a great pumpkin, Charlie Brown? That's a classic, right? You can't hardly find it anymore. Um, I found, I'm sure it's not legal, but there's a, I found online last year because I was sad that I missed it on TV, and I watched it on November 1st, and it, but it was a, you could tell it was a recording, or they copied it off of an old VHS tape, like it had the lines in it, you know, the tracking lines, and it had all of the old commercials from like 1984. It was like, it, I was like in a time machine. It was so cool. Oh, man. But, like I said, those most memorable of all those movies, right, they have those kind of monsters that have that, that similar stuff in common, right? You have zombies that are undead, and they have a hunger for brains, you know, and they drag their foot and all that. Uh, you have vampires who laugh in the face of death, who live forever because they just want to suck your blood. Um, you have werewolves that are um, nearly invincible, except for what? Silver bullet. Which makes me ask, like, what did people do before guns? Like, what were, the, were there stories about werewolves? And they just ate everybody because we didn't have guns. Like, too bad. Like, what's the story there? I always wondered about that. But the thing about it that we know, we, we know all these stories are made up, right? Like, we know it's like, it's, that's kind of the fun of Halloween. Like, it's all scary to a point. Like, we can let ourselves and our imaginations get carried away as much as we want. But we know at the end of the day... Werewolves, zombies, vampires, that stuff that just, they don't, 
exist. That, thing, that kind of stuff can't happen. In fact, we know one really, really true fact of life. It's, it's that dead people tend to stay dead. Like, that's just one of the truths of everyday life. And that's um, one of those reasons why, you know, we watch these movies and we can get a little spooky, but it's all fine and it's all good fun, right, for Halloween. Um, it's all, but, but, but letting our imaginations carry us away a little too much is also what makes walking by a graveyard on a dark night, like, makes it a little creepy and eerie because we're like, I don't, I'm pretty sure all the dead people are going to stay dead, but... I've seen enough movies to be like, what if? You know, and that might freak you out. Except, although, I don't know, after the last, like, two years, I think if you were walking past a graveyard and, like, you saw a hand bust out of the grave, you'd just be like, oh, great, zombie apocalypse. I guess that's the next thing. What's next? Alien invasion? Like, I don't think it really phases us as much after all the ways this last couple years has been uh, on us. But, but ultimately... This reality that dead people tend to stay dead is one of the reasons why I can understand why some people might have a hard time believing our faith. Because at the essence of our faith is this reality that Jesus did rise from the dead. He was executed through a Roman method called crucifixion. They didn't invent it, but, the, invent it, but they perfected it. Um, and even before the crucifixion, he was severely beaten. And so he died on this cross, whether it was heart failure or his lungs filled up with blood or just sheer exhaustion, we don't know. Um, but he died. Um, there was a, a Roman guard there whose only job was to make sure that the cross worked that before someone got taken down off the cross, that they were really dead. Like, that was his job. He was a guy. So when he, he saw dead, he knew what dead looked like. Um, Jesus' own followers, who had every reason to deny what was happening to Jesus, they all agreed he was dead. In fact, they all ran away and were like, what do we do now? He's dead. He's gone. What does that mean for us moving forward? Everybody said he was dead. And then, three days later, he comes back to life. Or at least we typically say three days later. This is something uh, that's just kind of a little side fact. But have you ever really thought about it? Like, is it three days? He, it was about three o'clock Friday afternoon when he dies. Early Sunday morning, he comes back to life. It's like a day and a half. So is the Bible wrong? No, because if you look at most of the times the New Testament talks about when Jesus rose, they don't say three days later. It says on the third day. Friday, he dies, day one. Saturday, he's dead all day, day two. Sunday, he rises, day three, on the third day. And so on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. And here's the thing. The entire basis of what we do here, the entire basis of our faith rests on that being true or not. It rests on our hope that Jesus actually did rise from the grave. The Christian faith isn't built on a code of conduct. It's not built on a law code. It's not built on a set of rules that if we follow them just make us real nice and swell people. No, the Christian faith was started because of a historical event that Jesus didn't stay dead. That unlike the millions of people that came before him, he died and didn't stay dead. But now we live into the, in this modern, enlightened time. And you have people that like, but obviously no, dead people stay dead. Everybody knows that. But how do we handle those two facts, that dead people stay dead, and we have to wrestle with the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, that he didn't actually stay dead? Well, today we're going to wrap up this series called Mind Blown, and this series is all about the importance of how we think, that 
the, th- the thoughts that we allow to have the most time and space in our brains will shape what we believe, and our belief will shape how we behave. So it is incredibly important that we allow the right things in our brains to shape us and mold us as we go through life. And I think most of us, if we're honest, because we live in this day and age where we are bombarded with TV shows and commercials and ads and, uh, you know, every thing on Facebook, Facebook's like eavesdropping on us, you know, and you like talk about how you don't want to go to the porta potty at the pumpkin patch, and then for the next two weeks, all you get is ads for porta potty rental, right? Because you're like, well, I didn't even look for that. It just heard you talking about it, right? Which is creepy. And so you get ads, and you're bombarded with all these messages every single day, thousands of them, hundreds of them, right? And so because we are in this age where we're bombarded with all these messages, I think most of us would probably admit that we have allowed way too much of the wrong things to form us. We've allowed way too many ideas to have room and space in our heads. And what that does for Christians, when we're trying to be formed by Christ, and we're trying to be, and we're, but we're also allowing ourselves to be formed by the world, is we can end up being very inconsistent people. Um, we can be inconsistent in how we act. You know, we can be uh, people who, you know, it's really easy to call yourself a Christian um, while never allowing yourself to be deeply formed into the image of Jesus. I think that's probably how Christians in our culture for the last number of decades have gotten the reputation of being hypocrites, which, by the way, everybody's a hypocrite to some level, so that name doesn't really bother me, but I think we can admit that when our entire culture says you're not following what you claim to believe, that probably means that somewhere along the way we weren't allowing ourselves, we were calling ourselves a a name that we didn't live up to. Um, it can also make you inconsistent in how you think. Um, I think one of the best examples of this is that I would say most Christians I know are really big fans of the idea of karma. You know, what goes around comes around, that the universe will pay you back, good or evil, based on what you do. And we think, yeah, we see somebody like steal your parking spot, and you're like, I could honk at him, but karma, karma will get him. What goes around comes around. And a lot of people... I say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but oh yeah, karma is totally really a thing. Uh, But here's the thing, karma, what goes around comes around, you get what you deserve, the universe balances the scales of justice, however you want to say it, that is incompatible with the Christian faith. It is a Buddhist belief, but the Christian faith says that you don't get what you deserve. Like the essence of the gospel is you have done bad things and you aren't getting repaid for it. But instead, Jesus is getting repaid for what you've done. Those two things can't go together. And so what we do when we allow ourselves to be shaped by the world more too much, we end up being very inconsistent people, and we hold beliefs that if we really took time to think about it, they, they can't fit together. But since we don't ever take time to think about it because we're too busy watching TV and getting numbed out by Netflix, we just never really question the inconsistencies in our minds. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a a moment when the Apostle Paul, who was a pastor and church planter, he had to deal with a church that was trying to have two beliefs that were radically inconsistent. And it's I think it's kind of funny how he points it out, because usually when someone points out those inconsistencies, it doesn't take much, right? Because they obviously don't go together, square peg, round hole. They don't work. And so he's calling these out, and it sounds really repetitious and almost a little confusing as you read it, because... He's just pointing out something that's just so incredibly obvious. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
And we'll start in verse 12. Oh, I skipped that. I said it, but I didn't put it up there. He said, okay, so Paul writes, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, a better way to say it would be, now since Christ is proclaimed. He's like, meaning, that's what we talk about at church, right? I mean, how many times have you heard me say that? I, I try to say it multiple times every week because it's the basis of our faith. He says, since we're always talking about Christ being raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from death. Now, the traditional Christian belief is that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so every believer will eventually be raised from the dead. That all of us will also experience a resurrection where our bodies will be raised from the ground, put back together since decomposition is a thing. That might be a Halloween movie in its own, but we'll all be put back together to some extent, and then eventually we'll get brand new bodies that are eternal, and we will live on a new, recreated, restored earth with Jesus forever. That's what Christians have been teaching for 2,000 years. We're not going to be angels sitting in the clouds playing a harp, wearing a long white robe with angel wings. That's never in the Christian faith. That comes more out of old Tom and Jerry cartoons, honestly. It really does, if you track the history of that that thought. Um, So, which the other thing I thought of was like, anybody here play the harp? Like, what's the thought? Like, we just get to heaven, like, here's your harp. You got eternity to figure it out. Good luck. Like, like how do we, like, I don't know. Like, you're just, I mean, because you'd be bored. You're on your own little cloud just, you know, floating around like you're floating in a pool, I guess. Like, what's the, it's so weird. So that's not what we do. That's not what our afterlife is. We're not ghosts. We're not like spirits floating around with no body, just going through walls and going about our business in heaven. That's not the, the picture we get of our eternity in Scripture. In fact, we don't even spend eternity in heaven. That's kind of the shorthand we use um, because in Scripture, heaven is used to also refer to the, basically the place where God is. Wherever God is, that's heaven. And since we get to live with Jesus forever, we just kind of say we'll be in heaven, um, which now, I, as the older I get, I realize I don't think calling it heaven is doing us it's not helpful for us. It gives us a bad idea of what the scriptures teach because in scripture, we teach that we will be raised, receive a physical body, and live on a physical earth with Jesus forever. That's what's taught. But 2,000 years ago, like today, people weren't dumb. They didn't know as much as we do, scientifically speaking, and how the world functions, but they had plenty of ideas about how some of the world worked, and they had a pretty good idea that dead people stayed dead, just like we do. Like, that was a reality. They had their graveyards, just like we do. And so you had all of these different ideas about what happened in the afterlife, and the majority of them were not having a body. The majority of them were, you didn't ever, you were a spirit, you were a soul, you were freed from your body. In fact, the ancient Greek and Roman idea was that everything physical was evil and everything spiritual was good. So death was actually you getting to be freed from this body, freed from this evil physical stuff. And so when Christians come in saying, there's going to be a resurrection, one day you'll be raised with a new body, people were kind of like, I don't want that. Because they'd been taught all their life, the physical is bad and the spiritual is good. And the benefit of death is you get to take off this bad person suit that you've been wearing and you get to live it forever somewhere else, whatever the belief system was. And so 
what happened, though, was this very common belief that you died and left your body behind and moved on to something better, it wiggled its way into the church and into the lives of Christians until they would come on Sunday morning and they would say, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. That's really the basis of our faith. But people don't rise from the dead. Like, you see, you see what I'm saying? Like, that doesn't go together at all. But it's the same way, just how like karma has wiggled its way into a lot of our minds and, and a lot of our belief systems. It doesn't fit, but we allow ourselves to be shaped by the world too much, and it just finds its way in there. And so to these people, the resurrection was not something that was appealing, but yet Paul goes to point out their very inconsistent belief. If people don't rise from the dead, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead... That creates some problems for us, folks. That's what he's talking about. And he goes on to point out some of the problems. In verse 14, he starts in with, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. It's useless. And your faith is in vain. It's useless. So he says that, again, everything we believe, everything we hold dear, it hinges on whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead. If he didn't, everything falls apart. If he didn't raise from dead from, from death, then everything he taught is nonsense. I mean, it's maybe good teaching. Some people like to say, Jesus was a good teacher. No, he was a liar. He was, if, he, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then everything he said was proved false. He wasn't the son of God. He wasn't going to live forever. He, didn't. he said he was going to rise on the third day. He was very clear about that. If he didn't, he was a crazy lunatic with delusions of grandeur who thought he was better than everybody else, who thought he was God in flesh. He was, he was bonkers if he didn't rise from the grave. Everything falls apart. And he says our faith, everything is built on a fairy tale if Jesus didn't rise from death, if he didn't physically come back. He goes on to say some more problems in verse 15. He says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified, that, we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. Now he's saying, okay, not only that, but I'm an apostle. There's other of these church leaders that were friends of Jesus, and we're going all over the world saying, he rose from the grave, and we saw him after he was dead and came back to life. We saw him. He's like, if the dead aren't raised and Jesus never raised, then I'm a liar. I'm just a con man working this long con. And so all these other guys who have been to this church and taught about Jesus, we're all just a bunch of losers who are trying to fool you for who knows what reason. Only if Jesus didn't rise from the grave. He goes on, verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Meaning the, the guilt that you tried to shut off when you became a Christian, nope, you're still guilty. You, all those horrible things you've done in your past, they are still firmly on your shoulders, and you are guilty, and you deserve to suffer for them. You're still a, just as bad of a person as you've always been if Jesus didn't die for your sins and rise from the grave. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, meaning they died and they're gone. There's, there's no afterlife. There's no hope for them. They're just gone. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
If Christ hasn't been raised, there's no such thing as forgiveness for your sins. There's no such thing as a new life with a fresh start. There's no such thing as hope of eternity and perfection. There's no hope of ever seeing your loved ones again. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, none of this means anything. Everything ever throughout history done in the name of Jesus was built upon a lie spread to the gullible. I mean... I mean, he's really saying, if this one thing goes away, the resurrection of Jesus, everything else goes away with it. It is impossible to calculate the amount of time that has been wasted for the last 2,000 years if Jesus didn't rise from the grave. Um, just, I look at like just our church. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, we've spent 130 years wasting our time in this community. Personally, um, if Christ has not been raised, I've wasted two decades of my life If Christ has not been raised, I've wasted some 300 hours preaching the gospel. And let me tell you, that was a very conservative estimate if my sermons were only 20 minutes long. And we all know they're not that short, right? Right? So, like, that's... Like, that, that's, that's a lot of time. But then I looked at how much time it takes me to prep a sermon. And if Christ has not been raised then I have wasted over 9,000 hours of my life. That's over a full year, day and night, writing sermons to fulfill a mission that is utter and complete nonsense. If Jesus hasn't risen from the the dead, it's all a mess. Everyone who's ever died as a Christian died with false hope. That's what he said. We're the most to be pitied because we walk to death with such confidence that is based on nothing. But, After all that kind of pointing out the obvious, and it all sounds kind of bleak the way he paints it up there. Like, if this didn't happen, it all falls apart. But then he, obviously, we know what Paul's going to turn the corner with. He says, but, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Meaning, he was resurrected, and he was the first. Meaning, we follow eventually. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So Paul confidently states that Jesus did rise from death. He rose from death, and Paul says that because he's saying, I saw him. I saw the risen Jesus. I was walking around persecuting Christians, and Jesus knocked me off my donkey and and blinded me, and he spoke to me. And then Paul had supposedly met with Jesus numerous other times and was taught directly by the risen Jesus. He's saying he did. He has, in fact, risen from death. And he's pointing out through this long kind of spiel here that Jesus' resurrection is what makes all the difference. That if Jesus did rise from death, then everything he said about himself was true. That the resurrection was confirmation that he was God, stepped out of heaven and into our world to take the consequence for our sin so that we could have freedom from guilt and shame. That burden could be lifted away so that we could be freed from the consequences of our sins. And instead of facing punishment, instead of receiving karma for our beliefs and for our actions and for our hateful words... We receive freedom and salvation and forgiveness for those things. If Jesus did rise from the dead, if he has in fact risen, then our faith is not empty and our drive to love and serve those around us, it is not a waste of time. If he did rise from death, then we as Christians have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and we can be different, we can change over a lifetime, we can experience transformation to be made into the image of Jesus. As his resurrection was simply the first 
fruit. The first, he laid a pathway for us through his resurrection that one day he will come again and we will be raised and we will be in eternity with every other believer that has ever died in faith with Jesus. Now, I understand that, you know, I kind of set all these thing dominoes up that Paul sets and, and then he says, if Jesus didn't rise, this is all the bad stuff, but don't worry, he did. And you might be like, do, do we know that? Like, how do we know that? Because that, if it didn't, that's a lot of bad stuff, right? For, like, why am I, this is bad for my faith and what I believe in. So if you're the kind of person that's like, can you help me? Is there any proof? Like, can you give me some answers that why we can trust that Jesus believed? Um, I'm not going to get in that to that today, but actually stay with us until January. We're going to start a sermon series in January where we're going to look at that stuff. And one of the weeks we're going to look at why we can trust the message of the Gospels, which is where we learn about Jesus' death and resurrection. So that's coming up in January where we're going to look at some of that hard evidence stuff. But today, I just kind of want us to to bring it back to the most basic question that all of us have to wrestle with. And that is, did Jesus rise from death? Yes or no? If he did, then he deserves nothing else than our full and utter devotion of our lives. Every second of every day, as you're going about your business, going to work, meeting somebody at the coffee shop, you know, making awkward eye contact with a cashier at the grocery store, whatever it is, that we need to live every second of our lives thinking, I am being made into the image of Jesus, and how can I reflect his light and love in this moment? We need to be understood that every second of every day is our opportunity to be deeply formed into the image of Jesus by surrendering ourselves to living life the way that he called us to live. But if he didn't rise from the dead, then why are you here? Stop wasting your time. Like I said, some of you, I mean, you could be having a candy coma right now. I mean, you could be having candy for breakfast, living the life, sleeping in, like doing, I mean, a million other things, but wasting our life sitting here. You can go um, out and, and let the culture form you into whatever it wants to form you in. You can be whoever the culture tells you to be. You can forget everybody else. You can live your life for your own happiness. You do you. Forget helping other people, making other, feel, other people feel good. It's all about you if there's nothing else but this life. You can uh, forget Letting you can anybody else, forget about anybody else's happiness. It's all about your happiness and fun. And don't waste a second again because this life is the only time you have to squeeze all that love and fun and joy and, and stuff into all that fairness that we want with karma. That's this is all we get if Jesus didn't rise from death. As Jesus pointed out, we can just go ahead and eat, drink, and be merry if he didn't rise from death. But if he did, then he's inviting us in to trust him with our lives, our eternal lives, to trust that into his hands, to be freed from the mistakes of our past, to drop the weights of guilt and shame and anger that weighs such a burden on our souls. He invites us to surrender our entire lives to him, our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to be formed into his beautiful image and to be made into a person of deep, deep love. Now, a lot of you are Christians, but if you're not, if you're here, maybe you're watching online and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to reach out, talk with me, talk with a friend of yours who's a Christian, because we would love nothing more than to explain to you the absolute wonderful joy that comes from following Jesus, because I'm a firm believer that dead people don't always stay dead. 
maybe that's the norm, but Jesus didn't come to be normal. He came to be extraordinary and to, again, pave the way, to be the first to show us what our future will behold, and that one day we will rise with him in glory when he returns. So we can have hope in the future, not sit here and be, oh no, everything's a waste. We've blown our lives. We've wasted every second. We have hope, real hope in the glory and the salvation and the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this amazing gift of the resurrection. We are thankful that in the middle of of a life where, where we are trying to be smart, rational people, where we try to live normal, everyday lives, we have to come to terms with this thing that is really out of the ordinary. We have to believe that someone actually rose from the dead, and that can be kind of difficult kind of challenging for us to come to terms with in our modern society with all of its answers for how the world works. But I, I think there is plenty of evidence, plenty of reasons for us to trust that you did do something extraordinary, that Jesus did rise on the third day, and he did so in power and victory, defeating Satan, sin, and death, so that one day when he returns, he will raise us from the dead as well. And I just pray, Father, that we can look forward with hope, not fear of death, as so many in our world have, not with hopelessness, as so many people face death that way, but we have hope that whatever comes next, you've got it taken care of, you've got it covered, and we can believe that because if you can raise Jesus from the dead, then every other promise he made is true as well. And so I pray that we would be people of deep trust in you, in deep hope because of the resurrection, and that we would surrender ourselves Every single day, every day that we would wake up, we would have another day to have an opportunity to, to submit to the way you've called us to live. We would surrender not to uh, surrender what we want to do and how we feel things should play out. We let all that go, and we walk the road that you've given us to walk, and we live by the, the pathway and the example of your son so that every day as we surrender, we get formed a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more so that over the course of our lifetimes, Father, You've done amazing transformation. We've walked quite a journey of faith. And so thank you for the hope of the resurrection. Thank you for life after death. Thank you that when we face the scariest moments of this life, we can have comfort in your great power. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.